And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. How are you? I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 50 of PNR, This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, October 27th, 2014. Well, it's almost Halloween here in the United States, and it seems that this year it's the year of the sexy costume. Sexy cop, sexy cowboy, and I'm not even making this up, sexy princess from Frozen. Or, this is the one I couldn't believe, sexy Ebola hazmat worker. How about that? Yes, indeed, scary. But here at PNR, we're here to make your content marketing sexy and certainly not scary, even on Halloween. Every week here at PNR is no trick and all treats. Content marketing candy corn sweetness that you can always subscribe and get your bag filled early on Tuesdays via iTunes or Stitcher. And then, as always, stop on by the blog post on Saturdays at thisoldmarketing.com, where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we rant and rave about here. Okay, it's time to get this Halloween show on the road by introducing my colleague, my co-host, and good, good friend coming this week from, I believe, Cleveland, Ohio, the always great, never scary, the great pumpkin of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm doing fine. I was getting a little nervous when you were throwing out the sexy costumes about what you were going to introduce me as. You know, I saw a sexy cornstalk. Uh, yes, what I know. What is that all about? And and there's the sexy. There's even the sexy John Oliver from uh, last week tonight. If you they, which is like just crazy. That that makes no sense at all to me. Actually, so you're not here. You're in uh, you're in Kansas City. I am in lovely Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas, or Kansas City, Missouri. I always get the two confused. I guess they are sort of split in half here. And yes, I'm here for the BMA conference tomorrow, which I am honored to be able to keynote and with some good folks here. Um, uh, Jeff Roars is going to be here. He's filling oh, in for the nice. lovely maybe Kyle he'll, Lacey. Maybe he'll do his uh, Will Parker version for you. Okay. A little Kansas Very City. good. There we go. I got to Kansas. <laughs> See, you got to do it. Yeah. I mean, you have to. A little fest. Let's, a little let's fest do a Parker. whole rendition uh, of uh, Oklahoma. Oh, uh, well, that's Oklahoma, not Kansas, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, well, it's from the musical Oklahoma. I see, but right. You but see how that works? I, 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 sort of. I. It's still a state below, but... <laughs> Did you not see the musical Oklahoma? I did see the musical. I did you do see know it. that there's a song in Oklahoma called Kansas City. I yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, I do. Because <laughs> I was Will Parker. Oh and I, no! I am determined to sing that at some point, maybe episode fifty-two. I'll just do the whole rendition of "I Got to Kansas City." I think you should do it as a Jay Z rap. Is what you should do. You oh, should do that, that now. There you go. Now that will please the listeners there you more go. than life itself. Hey. Before we get started, yeah. um, can I make a little announcement? Please do. So we've been told by our marketing people, our marketing brain trust, if you will. And when marketing talks, marketing, we listen. <laughs> for Content Marketing Institute, that we are not getting enough reviews. Now, I must say that the reviews we have are awesome. So thank you, everyone, for your wonderful, wonderful reviews. But they told us, Robert, I don't know if you knew this. If we get more reviews, like substantially more reviews, we'll be able to be found better in iTunes. Did you know that? I did not know that. I did not. Is that, 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 that's what you would call search engine optimization, I think. I've heard of, that of term po- before. Who knew? Yes. Yeah. Who knew? It's, it, it's like the, the sharing it on the, on the social media type of thing. I but, see. But it's, the reviews are very important. So here's our impassioned plea to everyone listening. If you are listening right now, if you would just put us on pause for a second – Go give us a quick review. Uh, Honest is fine. We love fives, but honest is is fine. And just give us that review this week. (laughs) As long as they're fives. It would would super help us out. And then the Marketing Brain Trust will get off of us a little bit because they feel, although you ask for it all the time, but maybe because it's just in the show flow, people haven't been hearing how important reviews are to us. Don't you know you better give us a review, you know, because we're going to be doing this accent, you know, all day long if we don't get no reviews. It's going to be that kind of show, folks. So you might want to actually skip the episode 51 or something. I can't believe it's been 50. This is unbelievable. We've got two more to do, dude, and then we're at the year. I know. Are we going to continue? Absolutely. I'm in. You're in. I, you know, this is. Sorry, we did our 52 exactly. required podcast. We're done now. There is, there is no more audio. That's how, well, that's how brands, a lot of brands do content marketing. It's a, we did a campaign. Yes, we, we did. did. This we old did marketing this campaign, campaign, and I'm sorry. It's over. We're all, we're all out of 
of talking. All about. right. Shall so, we move on to the but, news then? Did we, please. Did, did we do our requisite NPR I break? I think we did. They'll be happy. Okay. We'll see the results. All right. Well, our first, um, speaking of content marketing and definitions, the first item up for bid is what is content marketing? New definitions. This comes to us uh, via Scribewise, a blog uh, written by the lovely John Miller. And he writes a, uh, a blog post called What is Content Marketing? Seven Definitions. And he starts it out by saying basically that content marketing, of course, continues to be red hot. That's something that we would clearly agree with. And he says the reason is simple is because it works. And then he says there's a problem. And the problem is is that there are a lot of people where the term means a lot of different things. And the result is that the term is overly broad, leading to discussions where we're all using the same words but with different meanings. And he then goes on to list out, including our own, definitions that have been sort of uh, proposed by varying groups and including his own and then basically says you know this if nothing is content marketing or if everything is content marketing then nothing is and he thinks there should be a new definition what say you godfather well first of all we want to thank john miller and scribewise for talking about this so it's an important conversation absolutely so we went through it we wanted to see it and it, and of course got our editorial folks talking about it uh but you know he you know john calls us out john calls us out and said we're not doing our job here because feels that our definition is not is too broad right uh maybe we should why don't we just do this so our definition for everyone listening is content marketing is a strategic marketing approach focused on creating and distributing valuable relevant and consistent content to attract and retain a clearly defined audience and ultimately to drive profitable customer action. And that has been our definition. Uh, outside of a couple tweaks, we added strategic last year, which everyone went in an uproar about. <laughs> but in general, um, what John, John believes that's too broad and that even the infamous Don Draper would call what he did content marketing, which I don't know how you get that out of it. Now, here's what I wanted to ask you. So there's a lot of definitions. They go to Wikipedia definition, copy blogger definition, which I actually like copy bloggers definition but i don't think it's that much different than ours i don't see it at all different from ours. yeah it's just he's just using a copy blogger uses more folksy language right um so basically the first line is the same and then copy bloggers second sentence is the type of content you share is closely related to what you sell in other words you're educating people so that they know like and trust you enough to do business with you he adds that little twist on it which i think is nice it's very helpful But here's my issue with it, and I wanted to see if we were on the same page with this. I trust we are, but there's two things. I wanted to talk about Rebecca Lieb's definition in here, but first the the definition from Scribewise. So the definition from Scribewise is the creation and distribution of journalistic, audience-focused content that helps people do their jobs or lives better or live their lives better in some way. Because that's not broad at all. <clears throat> no, that, this is very defined. Now, here's I have two issues with this. First of all, it, the content doesn't have to be journalistic. Right. Nobody said, you know how much content marketing you're taking out of commission is what Chipotle is doing with their comedy series, journalistic, is what Red Bull does, journalistic. No, it's not. But it's still content marketing, so that's the one area. Right. And Neither is the, Lego, by the way. Lego wouldn't be oh, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't fit under that definition. Basically, can't forget. Yeah. Coca-Cola <laughs> wouldn't fit into that definition. Old old Emmett there in Lego movie. He's he's not the journalist. So the the last thing, last part of this is content that helps people do their jobs or live their lives. Look at, <laughs> Isn't that all content? I mean, <laughs> well, that's what I'm. This is very broad because. Yeah, what doesn't what, what marketing do you not want to do that in some way? The difference is, you know, let's just say from a publisher or anybody else doing anything or what you're doing on Facebook is the fact that content marketing has a marketing objective to it. There right. is something about we want to save money, we want to drive sales, we want to create and sustain customers. Right. You, if you don't have that in a content marketing definition, you don't have content marketing. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, for me, I mean, his definition, sadly, would eliminate so many, but add in so many others, right? I mean, by that definition, the New York Times, in, in its entirety, is content marketing. And, or just a blogger. Yeah, or, or, or so is Home and Garden TV, right? Every reality show on HGTV is basically 
um, there to help you know people garden, and that's all ad supported content. So is that content marketing? Uh, you know, no. Um, but then Red Bull isn't, as we mentioned, and and then Lego isn't, and then anything that isn't based on a sense of journalistic style isn't uh, isn't content marketing. I. You know, I mean, I, kudos to him for bringing up the discussion, but I think, I, I, you know, look, I went back and I looked at the definition of marketing. So AMA, a few years ago, actually redefined the term marketing. And I think there's no, I think it's impossible to come up with a singular definition that's going to please every single person and cover every single yeah. aspect. It's just impossible because, to make it simple, you know, and it's not like we didn't like think about this, right? We 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 sweated and toiled, and whether we got it right or whether we got it wrong, we actually thought about every single word in that sentence that we wrote. And you know, it, again, I think to your point, I think copy bloggers is a great definition, and I also think they're saying it in their very copy blogger way, which is very folksy and very you know off the cuff. And we tended to say the exact same thing, right? We you know basically they said. Content marketing is creating, sharing content to attract people and turn people into repeat customers. So it's good content built to generate success. And we said content marketing is creating and distributing good content to attract people and turn them into an asset for the business, which would be success. And, you know, I mean, so I don't know that we're any different there. No, I, I would agree with that. The one, This is the one thing. So I think we could put that aside where it's funny. John calls ours too broad where I think his is the broadest. Yes, exactly, of all of them. Of all of them. But uh, the one thing is in Rebecca Lieb's definition from Altimeter, and I never realized this, and it's worth talking about. She has a first part, which is similar to ours, talks about an asset-owned media. And then second, she says, content marketing is a pull rather than a push strategy. Right. Content doesn't interrupt, it attracts. I just need to make a qualification. And content marketing can pull and push. Right, absolutely. You, you, content marketing is, dare I say, inbound and outbound, which is why inbound and content marketing are different. Right. Um, but th- that's very important because <laughs> because people think that, oh, We're I going down that road again, are well, we? Well, I had to bring it up. I mean, if you are if you create a cu- – I mean, I grew up doing custom magazines. Right. That's what we did. That was all about the data that we have. We're targeting a certain audience and we're pushing it out to people. The difference is it's not an ad. It's not talking about our products. It's something we feel is educational that can inspire an action. That's the difference. It's still push. Exactly. It's delivering value that is separate and discreet from our product and service to our consumer. And it is, it is that simple. It is yet another product. And it is developed by marketing in order to de- deliver that value so that they affect some positive business results. So they love us more. So they buy more. So they stay longer. So they buy, put more in their shopping cart. It is, meant, it is content meant for a business result. But it is about delivering a separate value. It is just not, it's not a, anyway. Yeah, I don't want to get off on a rant, but, I'm with you, man. I'm getting chills. Yeah. This is, that was, that was almost like your Sermon on the Mount speech. You almost duplicated it with that little oh, thing. I had to stop that. myself. I'm in Kansas City. I don't want to get on the Sermon on the Mount here. <laughs> All right. I think we need to go to the next. The next uh, story comes yeah. to us from a site called Capital New York. And it's the title of it is Publishers Are Switching to Time-Based Metrics. This was a really interesting article to me because I didn't really know this. And, and when you and I were chatting, you, you, you told me about this. And so I'm really interested to get your, your take on this. But basically, the thrust of the article is that major publishers are, are interested in using time-based metrics, which you know very are rarely used. It's a very new phenomenon in, in the marketing practitioner world. Um, but they're talking about that in order to sell digital ads. And then they have this, they, they reference a, a study that came out by Digital Context Next. Um, and uh, it's uh, used to be known as the Online Publishers Association, which I was. Yeah, what, with what's that. with the name change? Yeah, I don't know. Digi- I never, they I literally went from Online Publishers Association to Digital Context yeah, Next. I guess so. I can't say Context Next. That's Content Next. I just can't do it. Well, it's the DCN, it. Joe. I mean, you have to get with the acronyms, oh, man. You know, so it's you. the DCN. Now, oh, now, now it makes perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, it's not the OPA. It's the DCN. <laughs> so anyway, they basically came out with this study and said that 80% of their members are already starting to use these time-based metrics. Um, and, and another 20% said that they plan to in the future. 
Um, and so this was really interesting to me because it, it's really focusing on this time spent with content rather than sort of the uh, you know the sort of click or the you know the the visit as as we're so used to saying. Um, but you've you've spent some time with this this metric before. Well, we're going back to the past here because anybody who has sold advertising for a traditional publishing operation right. knows that we sell a lot of the value based on the time our audience spends with our content. So, I mean, I've done my fair share of media kits and in that media kit, we always say, cause we ask, we do so many reader surveys. It's not even funny where we can say our customers, our readers spend 45 minutes with each issue and they pass it to two to three people per sitting or per time sending. But we really focus on that time because that's a level of engagement. And we can say, look, it's hard to get 45 minutes of time. Now, that's great. So they're doing the same thing here digitally, which I totally get. It's actually interesting that it took this long to get to this point. How do they derive because, that number? How does that number get derived? Oh, the, the when you ask them how long they spend with Oh, them? is it really you just li- you quite literally you ask, ask them? them. Okay. We have no idea. Right. Yeah. We have no idea. You just ask them on a survey. Right. Okay. You either have it where they fill in the, the time yeah. or – now, here's the issue. You have the exact number in a digital magazine, but it's always lower. So if you say, oh, they spend 45 minutes with our print if you're Wired Magazine – I'm sure they're spending five to seven minutes max with the digital version. Gotcha. Just yeah. as the way people just people do it. You don't you don't sit. It's not lean back technology. Sure. Necessarily. So, I'm I'm actually surprised it took this long to get to that point. Um, I mean, we have the metrics to do that. The issue is, and this is the same issue we have when we're selling. So these are publishers that are trying to sell advertising or sponsorship. You still have the same problem. Just because they spend, let's say, four minutes a page. Or four minutes every, let's say every session they go to your site and they're going to spend four to six minutes or whatever it is. It still doesn't mean that they're looking at your ad any of that time. time. So I guess if we're connecting the dots, we're saying, well, if they spend more time on our site, there's more opportunity to see your ad. Thus, I'm better than the other guy and you need to be advertising with me. Yeah, I think, and from a marketing perspective, I look at that, you know, I mean, because time on site right now is, you know, one of the more popular web metrics for marketers to look at, especially as content becomes a more important part of the toolbox. And the challenge is, is that, you know, time on site often gets, you know, confused for usability, right? So, you know, this, we Mm -hmm. look at time on site, we go, oh, time on site's going up and it's because people are confused and can't find what they're looking for and they're getting frustrated rather than sort of engaging with the content. So I like the idea, I guess my, my takeaway from this is Yet again, it's another it's another reason for us to go actually talk to our consumers, and not even just the buyers, or not even just the you know the, the people who end up being customers, but people who actually look at our website and actually how they're engaging with the content, and if they're engaging, you know, like actually ask them if they're reading it and spending time on it, because I think it's a, I think as we sort of get further down the road of developing a content marketing strategy, the the, the time with the content becomes a huge indicator of how much attention and the experience we're creating with this content. You know, that's super important, and it's worth talking about that specifically. So we're talking, you know, this whole article is based on what publishers are doing and how they're using it to sell. I think that let's look at it from a brand standpoint. And we're struggling with this at Content Marketing Institute as well. We're trying to figure out, does, does somebody spending more time on our site in a certain session lead to better business results for us? We're actually asking that question and trying to figure it out. Yeah. Because we had the, we had the discussion the other day. Um, Kathy uh, and on the marketing team and, and Michelle on the editorial team were, at, were trying to figure out, well, if, they, if somebody spends four minutes instead of two minutes, does that lead to better outcomes? Do they buy more? Do they do more things with us? Do they talk about us more? So, so in and of itself, time means nothing right so exactly it's right. just like a like right it's a like or a share or a you know no nothing by itself you know means anything unless it's tied to another indicator exactly um, and 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 it's many times you know this is this is you know I've, I've i've spoken of this study before this you know we 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 focus on you know we what we look at is time equals interactions right so the more interactions a customer has with our brand E.g., they click on an email link, they come, they look at a page, they click on another page, they click on another page, they click. We look at every one of those interactions, those conversion layers, as somehow deepening 
the relationship or providing more value to that customer when in fact there have studies been shown to show exactly the opposite right where what we've been doing in many cases is creating these artificial conversion layers and creating more and more and more transactions to get people to where they want to go and we're actually making it you know by by adding in all these content layers whether it's social media plus email plus the blog for this channel and the blog for that channel and the blog for this purpose and the website over here and all these different content platforms that we're actually making it more difficult for the consumer to go through a buying journey rather than easier and so in many cases it's it's better for us to reduce the number of content platforms and just make them more impactful, right? More, you know, really focus on having an, a major impact with the consumer on fewer channels. Well, I, and I think that's one of the, you know, we're working on our predictions piece for 2015 already. And I think that's going to be a prediction by a lot of the experts out there is I think you're going to see a limiting of channels focus big time this year because everybody, when all these, I was let's say 18, 24 months ago, everybody thought they had to be everywhere and with a mini content program to each of these social channels and they had to have a blog and what and I think now it's you're getting down to what are the ones that are going to make maximum impact and let's move those resources off the other smaller things that we're not seeing any benefit for and let's focus on oh, like how we were talking last week about copy bloggers decision and and Facebook and and by that that got some backlash by the way yeah yeah I think there's another year by the way I think that I, I would. I would. Oh, you think I, we're still in the? I think yeah. Being at as many channels as possible. Yep, because I think that's how a lot of marketers are getting budget. I think they're getting budget for content by adding channels and adding platforms, not by not by reducing them. I think the the idea of, of adding more right now is what puts money in the coffers to be able to spend on stuff. Um, you know, I think. Look, I think those that are you know. With all due humility, I think those that are coming to our, you know, listen to the podcast, come to the workshops, come to Content Marketing World, sort of experience what we talk about and where the that brands that are really succeeding in this space are really doing. And, and by the way, we do see that, that they are reducing the number of platforms and creating more impactful experiences in what they are managing. But I think right now what I what I see actually out there for companies that are just getting into this is the way that they're getting budget is by adding you know, additive channels, additive platforms, not by optimizing the ones that they have. It's still a spaghetti against the wall thing, right? And so I think we still have another year of that left before before it really, the pendulum starts to swing back. Should be a crazy 2015 then. Get ready for some really horrible content. <laughs> Thanks. Or just a lot more of it. <laughs> you just throw a meatball on my Sunday. Well, no, Thank it's you. this is what this is this is why we're in this is the Sermon on the Mount, brother. This is why we're in business. <laughs> this is why we're here. All right. Moving on to our next story here. Mozilla, the wonderful nonprofit, I guess they're nonprofit, aren't they? They're a nonprofit organization. Um, anyway, they're the, the folks who bring you the Firefox web browser. They have set up a new magazine called The Open Standard, which I like the title very much. Um, it's a new publishing outlet for them. And this new Open Standard, the Mozilla is going to be bringing you all this wonderful content that champions the company's philosophy. And, dun dun dun, woo advertisers. So here you go, Joe Polizzi. Here's your prediction coming true. Not only are they producing this thing for a content marketing purpose, assumably, they're also creating this platform to make money. They're actually, you know, they're really going to try and go out and make a business, a thing out of this thing. And they then go through and talk about some of the some of the content there. What did you think when you saw this? I'm well, I'm not surprised. It's just it's just taken 18 years for my predictions to come true, <laughs> and then finally, right. finally, there you go. You know, if you hold on long enough, every prediction comes true, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, I like the mission. Um, the mission is about open systems, uh, and they talk about technology and innovation and using open systems for all. And that makes sense to me in what Mozilla has authority to communicate about. So from a story standpoint, I really like that. Now, I'm under the assumption that their goal is to get people to consider using more open systems, and thus the side benefit would, would help companies like Mozilla because that's what they are for. So I'm just I'm trying to actually think of the business purpose behind it because they don't really talk about that. The defined like, the defined purpose of content marketing, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> this is the definition. I see episode. Yes, it's the uh, journalistic. Exactly. It's the journalistic definition. 
But what's interesting to me is going to the site. So and go to the show notes on Saturday and you'll check out the links of whatever you can go to right now. It's called the Open Standard. And they already have sponsored content there. They're already using native advertising. Yeah. Which is unbelievable that they're already doing this. But that I mean, it makes perfect sense. And this is this is I mean, this is back to Drew Davis's idea of brandscaping and whatnot. If you're launching an initiative like this and it's hard to do this, right? If it if it was easy, it'd be called advertising. This is hard, it's called content marketing. So you have That's to right. find people that can help you get these things off the ground. And sometimes it's easier to do it with multiple groups, especially as you say very well, if this is a muscle we're not used to using in the organization, it's tough to get this going. We've got to exercise it. Sometimes having people along go to the, going to the gym with us, working out together is a little bit better way to do it. So I like this fact that they're looking at this direction. Uh, and, and if they, if they alone just defray costs against it. No, seriously, kudos to them for being able to, I mean, you know, look, I think, I think what they've been able to do or what they will be able to do probably even better is to really further something that they're clearly passionate about, which is open source, you know, and, and by, you know, and which I really like that they called it, they didn't call it the open source. They called it the open standard, which is widens out their, you know, their ability to attract a lot more different types of people who are going to want to contribute content in there. I mean, I just think it's a, it's a classic example. I mean, not to get too wrapped up into this definition thing, but it's a classic example of how content marketing is supposed to work and we'll see if they can be successful with it. You know, we'll see if they can actually do something with it that, uh, that drives their business forward. Yep. Kudos, kudos to them. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Moving on to our next article, which is another really interesting article. This one is a, this one's going to take you some time folks. Um, this one, the title of it is reimagining magazines for data driven times. And it comes from a presentation actually from a guy by the name of Malcolm Netburn, who's the chairman of CBS uh, Global. And uh, both Joe and I got it in from our Bo Sachs email uh, that comes into our inbox, another wonderful uh, email newsletter subscription you should have if you're into content and content marketing and publishing. Um, but anyway, this was a, a presentation that this guy, Malcolm Netburn, gave. And then what they did was they transcribed it. And really it starts out, his, really the whole point of this is sort of looking at the industry of magazines um, and sort of how it's getting rebooted, innovated, and completely disrupted. And he goes on to talk about at great length, which is just, it's a wonderful presentation. And he starts out with this idea that it's really a seismic change that's going on, and there's this shift of focus. And for the industry to thrive, he says they've got to shift from a focus of all this extracting more and more profit from the customers and instead focus on enhancing the lifetime value of customers. I mean, does that sound familiar to anybody? So as he says, the concept is really simple. The more we understand about our audience, the more value we can provide, and the more we strip away the noise, we eliminate the friction between publishers and consumers, we can create an environment where the magazine and audience are truly connected. And so then he goes on, and I won't belabor this because it's just a wonderful, wonderful piece. He goes on to suggest three paths forward, and there's just some great statistics in there. It's just a really, I thought, a really well-thought-out piece. What do you think about this? Well, yeah, first of all, t- yeah, take some time. Yeah, pull out a chair and a donut because, because it's going it's yeah. to, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sit-down. It's going to take some time. You got it. But I think the one thing, and I, you know, you forget about this. I mean, I, you, you know that I probably talk about print magazines more than anybody and how there's an opportunity today for companies of all sizes to cut through the clutter and deliver amazing storytelling, amazing content marketing through the post. And here's the idea. And he's, he's, I didn't even realize 91% of Americans, he's saying, uh, engage in, in some kind of magazine product. That's amazing if you, if you think about 91% is available. So as he's talking specifically about the problems that magazine producers are having and that you need an overhaul in the industry and all these things. But you're right. I think it's more applicable if we look at it from a content marketing standpoint for companies that actually have budget. Because here's the issue. You fix, let's say there is a problem with magazines, which I don't think there is a problem with magazines. The only problem with magazines is that they can't be funded traditionally. And he says this, there's only two ways that they're funded, subscriptions and advertising. That's the problem. Because people aren't buying subscriptions as much and they're, and people aren't advertising on it. But the thing is, the medium is still working. There's still an opportunity to, uh, to communicate, build a relationship through a magazine product. So I think this article tells me more than anything is 
boy, if, if brands don't see an opportunity in print, which by the way, I understand is a tough sell, but I think that that's what this article told me. He, he, he goes on to talk about it. There's a, there's a, st- a statistic that he uses, which is just fantastic, where he says the top 25 print magazines reach more adults and teens than the top 25 regularly scheduled primetime TV shows. Readership is consistent across generations, and consumers are spending a significant amount of time, 40 minutes on average, reading each print issue. I mean, this goes back to our time metric, right? I mean, this is, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can get somebody to spend 40 minutes with your content these days, I mean, you know, look, I'm so sick of hearing that goldfish statistic in every presentation that I go to, you know, the the human (laughs) attention. I'm so done with that statistic. But, you know, 40 minutes, we get somebody to spend 40 minutes with our content, we're doing something right opportunity that's all it tells me so anyways i think it is worth i think to your point it is worth going through this and reading it um but yeah take uh you know do it in the morning have your coffee spend, uh, spend 15 minutes with it and uh, and go to town <laughs> exactly right do one of those uh bulletproof coffee things eat some butter and then have some coffee <laughs> get your get your mental acuity on all right, next, moving on to our last story of the show. Um, this might be our first story ever about Snapchat. Snapchat says no to native ads, or did they? So this comes from the Wall Street Journal, uh, the blogs at the Wall Street Journal. And it basically says um, Snapchat takes moral high ground is the lead. Um, Snapchat has decided to embrace advertising because, you know, because even companies with a $10 billion valuation, they've got to show how they're going to make some money. Um, but then they actually take a snipe at Facebook and Twitter by saying that um, they use all these native ad experiences. And this comes from an industry conference where the Snapchat COO, Emily White, said that Snapchat is, quote, different from other traditional social networks and will delineate separate, quote unquote, spaces for brands and regular messages. And basically she says, we're not going to do native ads. And then her proof is that they ran an ad for this uh, movie, Ouija, and where they immersed in users' recent updates feeds. But it not that a native ad? Putting an ad into the middle of users' feeds and labeling it an, an ad, isn't that the definition of native advertising? I mean, what do you think of this? I, oh, my God. So, uh, yeah, so it's in the – they're doing native advertising, but the, but the advertising – native in the point where it's content. Right. Uh, hopefully educational content. They're putting it into the recent updates tab. And I read the blog post. So I went to, you know, did, did hopefully you know, a little bit of journalism. I went to the Snapchat site and I checked out the blog post about where they launched it. And they said, no, 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 don't worry. It's not going to interrupt you. If you don't want it, it'll, it'll be in the recent updates field and be gone in 24 hours. You'll, you'll, never, <laughs> you'll never miss it, all that other stuff. Uh, but it'll be in this recent updates tab. Right. So if you want to see it, you can go there. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen with that advertising. Nobody's going to see it. They're going to move it out of the recent updates tab, and they're going to put it right in the feed because nobody's going to pay money to be in a tab that nobody's checking out. Sing just, it, brother. So right? There you go. That is exactly it. That is exactly it. And Wall Street will win that game. Guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever is, you you know, you are all in it for the money, just how close you are to the money. You know, I, I just have to say this, too, and maybe they'll update it by the time our listeners here get to the feed, but I've been noticing a lot of spelling mistakes in Wall Street Journal copy, which I never noticed before. So if you look at this article, the first paragraph, Snapchat is spelled wrong. And I checked it out today, and I was thinking, well, maybe an editor got to it later today. It's still wrong. Wow. I just I didn't I just, even it's see that. odd, and I've been seeing it in a couple places now. On, on Wall Street Journal, so I I think that they've, if I had to guess, they probably cut out a proofreading level. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, I mean, maybe they'll serious. get one back when they get some advertising revenue, some native well, ad revenue. <laughs> well, here, so here's what I know because I know a lot of the folks at the Plain Dealer here locally for Cleveland, Ohio, for the paper. Right, they used to have three different levels of proofreaders. They used to proofread it as it went through. Now it, it's up to the writer. To proofread. Wow. And then they sort of catch it on the fly if there's something else. I mean, it's because the resources, and this is, again, another opportunity for content marketing because the news resources have cut back so much, it's killing them. So it's just, just unfortunate to see this. Wow. That's that's pretty interesting. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Speaking of high-quality content, I mean, just the highest quality, no spelling mistakes at all, high quality. We have a beautiful, wonderful sponsor to talk about. 
Somebody who specializes yes. in content. I mean, they specialize <laughs> there are no, in content. There are no spelling mistakes in this sponsorship, my friends. Again, PNR's This Old Marketing is proud to be sponsored by the wonderful folks at Ektron, global leader in digital experience management software. And I, with the emphasis on experience for you, my friend. Um, Ektron is promoting their new book, uh, ebook actually, Five Minute Guide to Rebranding and Redesigning Your Website. So here's the deal. I'll cut out all the middle stuff here and just get to the point. If you're thinking about redesigning your website or you think you might need something like this in the future and before you go into a whole rebrand or hire the designer or the agency to do it, just download this ebook and it really is a five-minute guide and it will ask you the, the most important questions that you have to consider and what you need to do before you make any um, abysmal mistake and doing things you shouldn't be doing. So you can go to bit.ly.com slash PNR dash rebrand. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR dash rebrand to download the rebranding and redesigning your website ebook. And thanks again to the wonderful folks at Ektron for supporting this fledgling 50 episode old podcast called This Old Marketing. Pretty soon we're going to be able to use us as an example of this old marketing. I love that. I love the fact that, I mean, look, because these websites, you know, I mean, having come from web content management, I can tell you for a fact that most web content management projects come because we're going to redesign the website. And so having a guide like that is just incredibly important. If you're thinking about redesigning or rebranding your website, it's a great way to take a few first steps before you go at, you know, and, and, and make a bunch of false steps. So download that content because it's good stuff. Do it. All right. Well, now it is time for everybody's favorite part of the show. It's our rants and rave sections where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that's got us hot and bothered or hot and bothered. And I have, I have this old marketing this week, um, so I'm going to go first. And I have a rant. Not that we haven't been ranting already. But oh, I, thank God. Yes, no. I have a rant. I, and, I, and it I, is I, a I, rant. I mean, it is a rant rant. Um do, do it. it. This I is, want to hear it. You've been doing way too many raves, my friend. I, I want to hear the rants. Let's go. This Let's comes hear. from Inc.com, and this the na- it's an infographic. And I, the infographic, I think, is done by Percolate. It's, it's, and, so, and Percolate should know better than this, um, but this was just not good. Okay, so the URL of this post on Inc., um, and of course, we're going to put this in the show notes, is how much marketing really costs. So if you see the URL, you'll see it says how much marketing really costs. Then the title got, I think, got changed. The title at the top of the article and the, and the infographic is the staggering cost of content marketing, which of course got my attention, right? So of course, I click into it and of course, I start reading it. So, but I can't think, help to think that they, they changed the title. But what's staggering here is the level of thinking that went into this thing because it's staggeringly low. I mean, it starts out. So it starts out by saying, "Look, Nestle has recently revealed that its teams produce more than fifteen hundred pieces of marketing content every day for more than eight hundred Facebook pages. Uh, pages. So they do a lot of. So talk about somebody who's gone in big on Facebook. Nestle has gone in big on Facebook. Fifteen hundred pieces. Don't have any problem with that." And then basically they say, "Look, if you're going to do this, and they start doing estimations that." of how much this actually costs Nestle. This is where, I mean, it, it goes off the rails so soon here, it's actually staggering to use their words. So they say 1,500 posts takes two hours a day each. Okay, I don't know when a Facebook post took me two and a half hours to do, but okay, I'll, I'll even give them that. 1,500 posts, each of them takes two hours a day or 3,000 hours a day on Facebook. So the math is, I mean, let's just assume there that it actually does take two hours, right? That's 3,000 hours a day. Now, of course, that's more hours than there are in a day, but let's assume that that what they really mean is 3,000 person hours, 3,000 person hours per day. If we assume a 10-hour workday, they're assuming it takes a minimum of 300 people all day to do these posts. And I'm going to hazard a guess that say that Nestle doesn't have 300 people working on Facebook alone. If they're doing anything else, it's got to it, it, it's more people according to this. But okay, all right, maybe I'm harping on this too much, right? So okay, and then I go, then they go on, and they basically say that the average marketer uses seven channels. We actually know that it's more than that from our study, but I'm going to go with seven because they say seven. My average market. So if Nestle's uh, is 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 doing this, they say we should multiply the hundred and twenty-seven thousand dollars a day that they're spending on Facebook by seven to get to eight hundred thousand dollars a day. 
They also just then skip over the fact that if Nestle is actually also an average marketer, then those seven extra channels, that's that same effort, equals 21,000 person hours now. Or the math that I just did for them, they've now got 2,100 people working on social media more broadly. Now, Nestle's a really big company, but if they've got 2,000 people working on social media, I've got a proposal that I'd like to send them. Okay, so back to our infographic. So they do the math. We've got $800,000 a day is the expected cost for this. And then they go just like sort of jump and go into video production costs. And they say video production starts at $1,500 per minute to produce, but can go to $250,000 per minute to produce, believe it or not. Okay, well, that's actually pretty reasonable. I mean, $1,500 a minute is actually not that unreasonable for a high-quality video. I mean, certainly not compared to what they just said at $800,000 a day. Now, they don't actually go make a point here at all other than to just state the cost. But yeah, fifteen grand for a well-produced 10-minute video, that's not horrible and certainly not what it used to be to shoot a high-quality 30-second. Mm-hmm. So is that staggering? Are those costs staggering? Now I'm confused. Now I've just gone from spending $800,000 a day to $10,000 for a corporate video. So am I staggered? No, I'm not. But then my favorite, my absolute favorite is the way that they end this thing when they talk about mobile ad spending. They say mobile ad spending is on the rise, rising 37%. Yes, we know this. But then they say because more people will have more mobile phones, that the cost to reach them will be staggeringly higher. I mean, maybe I guess they mean that they we're going to compete with all the noise out there, but I just I look at the history, like if you look at online digital spending or television spending or radio spending, it's like when it starts, the penetration gets, it's going to flatten out. It's not going to be 37% forever. It just can't be. Anyway, I'm getting off on a, a, a more of a deeper rant than I wanted to get off. This is just a silly, silly, silly infographic, and I'm dumber for having read it. And and so it's one of those things. It's like, come on, guys, really? This is what we're – and it got so many shares. It got more than 1,300 shares on Inc. So people are just like, yeah, this is right, the staggering cost of content marketing. you know. And even if they were spending that much money, it's still, if you look at Nestle, Nestle spends $500 million a year on advertising. Even if they were spending $800,000 a day, it's still a drop in the bucket compared to advertising costs. End of rant. <laughs> and now everyone is more dumber. <laughs> exactly. My apologies. I'm going to apologize in advance for having, we're because you're probably going to go see, look at it, and then I'm apologizing to we're you. We're going to see dumb and, dumb and Dumber too. T-O-2, uh, and enjoy me some infographic. Uh, you know, the, actually, the sad part of this, Robert, is, and I'm not going to comment anymore because you did a fantastic job commenting on that, but all I would say is that there have been so many more blogs that pick that up because Inc. ran, and now it's everywhere. So, And it makes, me, it makes me hate Inc. more. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it just, it's, just, it's just bad. Just bad. I wish it didn't happen. All right, so. Here's mine. I'll keep mine brief. And actually, this might be a record because mine is is not a, a rave either. Mine is a rant. Oh my so gosh! We, it's been a while since both of us two rants rant. in a row. Oh, this is this is crazy. So here is my again. I, this is Wall Street Journal CMO today. Now the title is this from October fifteenth. The title is more evidence that content marketing's effectiveness is hard to prove, and this is wonderful for us at CMI because we got covered. So we got covered in the Wall Street Journal. It's great. According to a new report from the Content Marketing Institute, only twenty three percent of business to consumer marketers polled said they were successful tracking the return on investment of their content marketing program. All true. Goes on and on and on, and then says investments in content marketing in which Brands create content that is closely integrated with editorial content on the publisher sites. I'm going to reread that again. I'm going to reread that again for everyone that listens to this. This is super important. This is the Wall Street Journal. Investments in content marketing, dash, in which brands create content that is closely integrated with the editorial content on publisher sites, dash, blah, blah, blah. Native advertising. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I would read this. I'm like, are you like you use the native advertising definition of content marketing? This was just I was floored that they did this. And I want to go do a training exercise for Natalie, who wrote this article. Natalie, I love you. I will give you free training 
on what content marketing is if you don't confuse it with native advertising. And all I'm going to do is say this, Robert. We talked about this last week, I believe. Is the anytime media people, anytime media people of any kind talk about content marketing, they think it's native advertising. Folks, you're killing me. You think the brands can't. You're killing content. me, Smalls. <laughs> well, it's this shenanigans. I tell you, you the, here's the you think I'm getting all emotional now. Yeah. I have to get some water or something. But here's the issue. Every time a media person or somebody that has grown up in media talks about content marketing, they, they think as though a brand cannot create content without a publisher's permission or without it on a publisher's platform. So this is we got a lot of education to go around this stuff. That's exactly right. That is exactly well. I mean, this that's the theme of the show, right? It's just we still we still got to get up on the mount and start sermonizing. That's because this is this is where we are. We've got to get this. I just up. expected more from the Wall Street. Yeah, Journal. well, you would and now, but now I've said so. Just today, I got to look at this article and then a spelling mistake. <laughs> done with you. <laughs> done with you. You killing me, Smalls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's our what's our example? We have a wonderful example of this old marketing this week. A huge hat tip uh, to Jonathan Bean, uh, by the way, here, who is the chief operating officer of my news desk um, out in uh, uh, Scandinavia and Sweden. And uh, he sent over this this example and actually interviewed the vice president of marketing for um, SAS Airlines, the Scandinavian Airlines um, company, and his name is Stefan Hedelius. He's the vice president of marketing and brand there, and they have started a new program. And he originally started out interviewing them about this new program and then quickly realized how integrated and connected it was to something they've been doing for 42 years. So like many airlines, they have had an airline magazine that has been one of their huge content programs, um, custom publishing, as you know, from well, well back, 42 years old, their Scanorama magazine is this year, in fact. They are completely rebooting the magazine, keeping the print publication, launching an online version, and a whole program around YouTube, uh, social, uh, all sorts of different channels around this new program that they're calling the Scandinavian Traveler. And it's basically they're focusing on this experienced travel uh, person, the, you know, basically the user, throughout Scandinavia. And so what I love about this so much as, as an old thing is, one, they're taking something that has been working for them for 42 years and completely rebooting it and completely going out with new channels. But even more importantly, and you have to listen to the interview to really get the, all of the details here, but what he did was, was really focused on, and this I pulled this out, was they, they didn't think about it from a channel perspective. What they did was they went out and first understood what they could do and pull in audience research. That meant looking at all of the brands that their audiences were buying and looking at and purchasing and engaging with and everything they were shopping for and everything related to travel and how much they spent and all this to really develop a core audience profile for who they wanted to reach. So not just traditional SAS flyers or frequent flyers, but rather a new audience that they wanted to really bring this, this thing. And they said, you know, 85,000 people a day travel with SAS. As he says, that's an opportunity to impact 85,000 people and develop uh, a better relationship with them. And then interestingly, he goes through this, re this interview and then he brings up you, Joe. He says, look, Joe Polizzi talks about, you know, three things, sales, cutting costs, and, and getting sunshine into people. He says, what's your priority? And he says, sunshine. He says, what we're trying to do is improve the customer experience with this. That's our business objective. And they centralizing, and this is the most important part for me, was they're taking this, centralizing all the content into a library. And then what they're doing is taking all that content and figuring out what the right channel is for it, whether it's going to be print, digital online, uh, YouTube video, social, all that stuff. And basically, and what he calls it is multiple inspiration points. I love that. And, but, and then at the end of the day, he says, it's, we know that it will affect sales because it'll, it'll provide a better customer experience. And he goes on to talk about some other things about what they're doing more broadly, you know, with the, all the stuff they're dealing with with unions. And it's a, it's a more intense interview. And this is probably, you know, of a 30-minute of a interview is probably 20 minutes of it. But it's just a wonderful example of how you take something that's been working for 40 years, reboot it, and evolve it and innovate it into something that's going to become a new program. As he says, we're introducing a program. This is not a campaign. We're introducing a program called the Scandinavian Traveler. I just love it as an example of this old marketing. It's, you know, this is a much must-read piece of information. And the one thing I'll say that it just hit me as I was going through this, 
said so looking back in 2013 and their brand marketing and communication spend, SAS had spent 93% on paid media advertising, 5% on owned, 2% on earned. In his opinion, this will rapidly change to a mix of around 20 to 25% owned, 70% paid, 5% earned or social. That's a big shift in a very short period of time. Yeah. It's huge. It's just, I just, I love this for so many reasons, but mostly because he's putting the story first and centralizing it and then figuring out the right channels to tell this, create his inspiration points. I, that, I mean, it's just, it's wonderful. Very good. Great article. And I think that's it. So, uh, yeah. So, so where I'm in, I'm in Kansas city. I'm going to be hanging out here in uh, the lovely Kansas city with the BMA folks. And then I'm off to Toronto. Uh, to go visit with the LinkedIn folks and do a workshop with them up there. So, how, and how about you? That's, and usually I join you for those, but I'm I'm here working on a few things at uh, in home office here at Cleveland, and then uh, next week I believe we're both in Charlotte for the Charlotte uh, Charlotte workshop masterclass. So th- that'll be fun. Looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll going on the Joe and Robert tour again for a couple more cities as always a pleasure my friend it was it's going to be great we'll we'll get some uh, we'll get some good north carolina barbecue in our bellies and it will be a good day for sure okay that is it for us for joe polizzi this is robert rose signing off and you know tweet us up hashtag this old marketing do it up snapchat us up email us hit this old marketing content institute.com and do go give us a review or you know we're going to get that, you know, those that, that accent coming out again there, and we're going to do some more, uh, some more of that, you know. Anyway, if you like this episode number 50, we're going to hope you remember to subscribe. iTunes or Stitcher.com, all those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. <laughs>